So over the next three weeks, we are going to be talking through and unpacking this vision statement that came out of our elders' retreat earlier in the year, which was to grow an intentional, com- uh, sorry, an intergenerational community and gospel-based church. And so I'm calling it a vision statement today, but we can kind of hold on to that title loosely. We weren't really sure what exactly it would be called. It's just a statement of sorts. But vision statement seemed like a good option because this vision or this um, this focus has come out of where we believe God is calling us and what we believe he's calling us into. So we'll hold that um, title vision statement because sometimes that can come with all sorts of different ideas we'll hold that loosely but we are going to be looking at this and unpacking this over the next three weeks because we are looking forward to where we believe God is leading us so over the next three weeks as we delve into this we're going to take it bit by bit and break it down into chunks so today we will focus on the start to grow. Next week will be an intergenerational community, and then the third week will be gospel-based church. So we're going to take it in those chunks and look at what each of those different focuses means for us as we consider where we are headed, and what that also might look like for us as the church body in practice and in like the day-to-day of church life. Does that sound all right? Yes. No response, but yes. Okay, let's just pray as we begin. Lord God, we thank you that you speak to us and that you call us forward. We thank you that you are so mighty and supreme and that you have vision far beyond what we can ever see or grasp or understand. Lord God, I pray as we discuss what has come through the elders meeting to really discern where you are calling us. Lord, I pray that you would open that up to us that you would reveal to us your spirit in that, and that you will call us forward and that we would know our place and where we are headed. Father, we thank you for your words, and we pray this morning that we would hear your voice so clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. So last weekend, um, Laura and I, we went away for the night over to Fidianga for a friend's birthday. And so she was turning 25, so her husband had organized a little pizza lunch party for us. And so that was on Saturday last week, and we went along to that, and a bunch of their extended family had been invited. So there were some little kids like there amongst the group of us who were there. And I'm sure that many of you have observed this, um, maybe a lot more than I have, but watching children eat can be like quite the experience and just maybe a little bit off-putting as well. It just seems that there's like dribble and food and saucy stuff and sticky stuff and messy stuff, mushy stuff, just everywhere. I don't know how it happens, but it just seems like it's everywhere. And it it creates quite the spectacle. And, I mean, we were having pizza, which can be a difficult food, you know? Toppings can slide around. But I'll tell you where the real, you know, it really got down to the, where the rubber met the road, the mess came into it. And that was with the arrival of dessert. My goodness, when the dessert came out, it was like the kids turned into kind of little animals with the excitement. They spotted the birthday cake, 
And they were like, we want to be involved. They wanted to be involved in the cutting and the distribution of the cake. Then they spotted the Easter eggs, and they had to have one or two or five of those. And then they spotted the whipped cream that was there. And that was when things really got a little bit feral. After helping to serve the cake, they handed it round on napkins to everyone. One little girl, she served up her own cake onto her napkin and then her own cream to go with it. And there wasn't any need for a spoon, though, for the cream. No, because when God's given you two little scoopers on the end of each arm, who would need a spoon? And so just straight into the bowl of cream, just out onto her napkin. And then there was the eating. And so there was just chocolate everywhere, all around her face, her shirt, like her hands, just everywhere. But when she ate the cake, she didn't eat the cream with it. The cream was saved separately. And so when it came to the cream, it started with just like some dipping and licking with her fingers. But I mean, that just wasn't, wasn't doing it. It just wasn't cutting the mustard. And so instead, she had to get her whole face into it. And so I was sitting at one end of the table, looking at her at the other, and she had her napkin on the table, just down, with her whole face in it, licking off the napkin like a little dog. And I was just here, sitting there mesmerized, watching this little girl lick up the cream from her napkin like a little dog. And she barely, I mean, she barely stopped for breath. She was just going for it. But when she did and she sat up, someone said, oh, you've got some cream on your shirt. No worries. Whole shirt goes in the mouth. Cream is gone. And now there's just like a massive saliva stain on there. And I was like, oh, nice. This is really nice. But then after that, she didn't go back to her cream and cake. She took what was left and she just kind of pushed it into the middle of her slobbery napkin and gently folded it up. You know, very carefully, picked it up, handed it to Grandma, and said, it's for Papa. And Grandma was like, okay, and took it. And then the girl was done. Dessert was done. She was off back to running or whatever the kids were doing. And on more than one occasion, during this whole spectacular watch, Laura and I were looking at each other in horror, going, oh, no, the hands. Oh, no, the stickiness. Oh, the mess. But as we look today at what it means for us to grow, I think we need to take maybe a few leaves out of the book of the full-on, into-everything, messy, sticky, sometimes feral little child, because something that children do a lot of in their life is growing. So there are two passages today that we're going to look at, one in Matthew 18 and one in Matthew 19, where Jesus speaks very directly to children and about children. He involves them in what he's teaching. So we're going to start with Matthew 18, verses 1 to 5, and hear what he has to say. I tell you, I don't think I'll look at cream the same way, you know. It was was something. Okay, so starting in chapter 18, verse 1. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and he put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth. 
Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. And then if you want to flip over to Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15, Jesus has another encounter with a child. So starting in 19, verse 13. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these little children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. I mean, Jesus, he certainly wasn't afraid of the children. He didn't seem to be worried about their inevitable stickiness or their desire to just get into everything. He welcomes them. He says, bring them to me. And not only does he invite the children to come to him, he then upholds the children as an example, as an example of what's required to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. When he says, I tell you the truth, unless you can turn from your sins and humble yourselves like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. But it must be said that Jesus, he didn't uphold the children as examples of this simply because kids are so great at being humble. Rather, he held up the child as an example of one who in society was considered very vulnerable and very lowly. Kids, they had no power or status or anything in Jesus' time. They didn't really have a function in society. They were just add-ons of their parents, really. And because children were trusting, simply because kids needed to trust and rely on adults to get by, they were considered weak. It seems a bit harsh, doesn't it, that just because a child is a child and they do what a child needs to do, they were considered lowly and vulnerable and weak. But that's, that's the way it was for them in that time. So when Jesus upholds the child and says, you need to humble yourselves like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven, we could put that into other words such as, unless you turn from your sins and recognize that you need help, recognize that you need to trust just like a little child does, you're never going to get into the kingdom of heaven. So this is leaf number one that we can take from the child's book as we consider what it looks like to grow. We need to be willing to ask for help, and we need to be ready to trust. The very thing that makes the child so weak and so vulnerable in this world is the very thing that makes the child the first to enter the kingdom of heaven, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And the thing is, kids, they don't seem too bothered by their power or their status in this world. They don't seem too worried about the fact that they do need help, that there are things that they just can't do. They don't seem too phased by asking for help a lot of the time. And I think that same attitude is one that we need to adopt. Paul, 
He got it. And one in 2 Corinthians 12, he's honest about his own weaknesses, his own inabilities when he says this. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast all the more about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew that he wasn't the best, that he wasn't always going to be the best job, do the best job, or be the most loved. He knew he had downfalls, and he knew that things weren't always going to work out or be easy. But he also knew, he was assured that he had help, that he had strength there for him in the one that he trusted in Jesus. Paul was content to boast all the more about his weaknesses because he knew in those places where he was the most weak, that was where the power of Christ could be working to make him strong. Paul, he was previously Saul in his life. And as Saul, he tried to imprison Christians, to kill them, to stop them from worshipping God, to stop Christ's church until he encountered Jesus one day out on the road and his heart and his life was changed. And because of his past, because of his time as Saul, it's very understandable that the believers didn't really want to trust him. They weren't very accepting of him. They didn't really believe he'd changed when all of a sudden he comes to them preaching about Jesus. And so it took Paul relying on the few friends that he had, the few people that he could actually trust to even keep him alive, to keep him safe, and to help his ministry grow through what was a very, very rocky start. Paul wasn't going to get very far without asking for help. His ministry certainly wouldn't have reached the people that it did, and he physically probably would have gone nowhere because he would have been dead. But by asking for help and accepting help from friends, and by preaching boldly in the name of Jesus, Paul's life was spared and his ministry stretched far and wide, and many, many heard the good news of Jesus through Paul's efforts. So if we want to grow vertically, if we want to grow up this way in our relationship with God, we must humble ourselves like a child. We must boast all the more in our weaknesses and know that the best that we can do, the very best thing that we can do is allow opportunity for God's power to strengthen us when we're at the end of what we can do ourselves. And if we want to grow horizontally out this way, grow in number and grow in the number of those who are hearing the good news of Jesus through our efforts, Again, we must humble ourselves like little children. We must boast all the more in our weaknesses, in the things that we can't do, and give opportunity for God to empower, for God to bring alongside, for God to inspire and to strengthen us 
and those around us to participate in his mission and what he's got planned. So leaf number one that we can take from the child's book on how to grow is we need to be willing to ask for help and we need to be ready to trust. Kids always seem to be so eager to have a go at things or be a part of things. Like the little girl wanting to be a part of cutting and serving the cake. And I mean, it was probably very wise that no one let her have a go, let her have a go at the cutting part. But she could do what she could do. She could get the napkins ready and she could take those napkins with cake on them, serve them to the people in the room. She was so eager to help. She was just there, ready to play her part in cake distribution, and so she happily got stuck into the role that she was there to play. I mean, kids just seem to be up for anything. They often are quite keen to give things a go, some things a go. Um, And it would appear that in Jesus' day, kids weren't really any different. In both passages from Matthew 18 and 19, kids are there. It doesn't really say what they're doing. I imagine they were there with their parents. They were probably just running, as kids do, just running in the background somewhere. But the kids are there in both of these settings. And in Matthew 18 and 19, Jesus calls them to himself, and they come. They're there, and they're willing to just get in there. In Matthew 18, it says Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And then in Matthew 19... One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. And Jesus said, let them come to me. Don't stop them. And he placed his hands on them and blessed them before he left. On both occasions, Jesus welcomes the little children up into center stage. He brings them into the limelight and he upholds them as an example. And it doesn't say that the kids were frightened. It doesn't say that the kids were reluctant to go. It doesn't describe them as a young child meeting Santa for the first time, screaming their head off until they're red in the face. No, it just says that the kids went to him and he blessed them. It sounds to me like they were probably fairly willing to go, just simply willing to be a part of what Jesus was asking them to do. And that's the second leaf that we can take from the child's book on how to grow. Be willing to do what you can do. Jumping back into Corinthians, this time in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes about how the church is like a body. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. If the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would we hear? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange would a body be if it only had one part? The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. So God has put the body together. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. All of us together are Christ's body, and each of us is a part of it. 
and the parts that we play, the role or the function that we have within the body varies. We can't all do the same things. We don't all have the same abilities. The eye can't tell the hands that they're not needed, and the head can't tell the feet that they're not needed, because if we start cancelling out different parts of the body, soon enough, there's no body left at all. But in the same sense, the eyes of the body can't just choose by themselves not to function. Because then how would the body see? And the feet can't decide just by themselves one day, you know what, I'm not going to walk anymore. Because then the body wouldn't walk. Well, we each have a responsibility to encourage others to find their role in the body, to do their job well as a part of the body. We each also have a responsibility to take care of the role and the function that we have. We have to do our own job well. If we're the eyes, then see well. Do what you need to do to make sure you've got 20-20 vision and make sure the eyes are well cared for. Or if you are the feet, then keep fit. Walk boldly. Do what you need to do. Get some more comfy shoes if that's what you need to be able to walk the distance and walk in the way. The body won't move very far if we don't all take responsibility for our own roles and take care of them well. If we want to grow vertically grow upwards in our relationship with God, then we really need to press into him and ask him honestly, what's my role in this body? And then when he leads us into that place, when he leads us into that role, we need to be eager and willing to serve him there. And if we want to grow horizontally, outwards, grow in number and grow in the number who are hearing Jesus's words through our efforts, then we must be willing to get stuck in. We must be eager to serve within our own function and we need to encourage others to find their place to do the same so that we can all work together as a fully dynamic and moving body of Christ. So leaf number two that we can take from the child's book on how to grow is be willing to do what you can do. But do you know what goes hand in hand with a child's growth? It's the parents who are walking with them. Parents, grandparents, uncles, aunties, caregivers, guardians, foster parents, all those who love and raise their children, no matter the relationship are really just the heroes of the day. And the role that they are playing in the growth of their children is phenomenal. And if you've ever learned anything about children's growth and development, like I had to when I was studying, or probably just if you've been a part of raising a child, gives you more of a qualification, you will know how important it is that kids form good relationships with other adults or other trusted people outside of just yourself as their parents or caregivers. Having friends or wider family who can speak positively into a child's life does wonders for their growth and development, and it really proves the saying that it takes a village to raise a child. In Jesus, in Matthew 18 and 19, we see him doing a little part, his little part for the village. 
Even though during his ministry he moved around a lot, he wasn't really settled in one set place. He was clear with his dealings with children when he says, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. And then later when he says, let the children come to me, don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. The third leaf that we can take from a child's book as we consider what it takes for us to grow is this. Set your roots down in a village. Now this leaf in the book, it's probably not really up to the child alone to make this happen, but it is a good leaf nonetheless. Paul closes his letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13 with the words, Be joyful. Grow in maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace, then the God of love and peace will be with you. Paul's letter to the Corinthians was written to a church that was really struggling with all sorts of divisions. Some were divided by their social status, some were divided by who exactly they should be listening to, some were divided on what kinds of food were appropriate to eat and when. Some were divided on the best way to worship, and then more again were divided on a whole host of other little issues. Paul's letter to the Corinthians was intended to be clarifying and unifying. Paul hoped to answer some of their questions, to point them in the right direction, but most importantly, he hoped to unify them with a common focus, and that was to be focused on Jesus. Paul didn't want them living in a constant state of disagreeance or fighting. He wanted them to be joyful, to grow and seek maturity, to encourage one another and live together in harmony and peace in the presence of God. He wanted them to band together as the village. And the thing about being the village is that it goes both ways. Jesus asks us to humble ourselves like a child, but he also asks us to welcome the child, to let the child come to us. But if we've humbled ourselves to be like the child, then it seems that we might be caught in some sort of loop. We can be the village, but we are also the child that the village is raising. The village isn't a perfect system because these villages are made up of people and people aren't perfect. The village is made up of people who need to humble themselves. It's made up of people who aren't always willing to get stuck in and do things. The village is made up of people who don't even want to be a part of the village, who don't want to be a part of encouraging growth in one another. And some in the village think that they might be able to do it all on their own, that they don't need a village. But the beauty of the village is that it is a working system, powering on towards joy, maturity, growth, encouragement, harmony, and peace in the presence of God. And the best thing that you can do as a part of the village is to put your roots down, to commit to make your home, claim your space, and do your growing. 
a village doesn't work when villages constantly come and go, when there's no consistency, when people always change around and move on. A village works with constant, with the committed, with those who are in there for the long haul, with those who are there putting their roots down. If we want to grow vertically, to grow upwards, to grow in our relationship with God, we need to set our roots down in a village. We need to be the village, but also recognize that we can be the child that the village is raising. We need to be committed, committed through the long haul, and committed to allowing those in the village to speak into our lives, to encourage us, towards joy, maturity, growth, peace, and harmony in the presence of God. And if we want to grow horizontally, grow in number and grow the number who are hearing the good news of Jesus through our efforts, we also need to set our roots down in a village. We need to be the village and recognize that we can be the child the village is raising, but so is everyone else. We need to be committed, committed for the long haul and committed to pointing the village and those who are there on the outskirts towards joy, maturity, encouragement, harmony and peace in the presence of God. Leaf number three that we can take from the child's book on growth is to set your roots down in a village. The first part of our vision statement is to grow. And that is growth that we hope to see both vertically, upwards in our relationship with God, and horizontally, in number, and in the number who are hearing the good news of Jesus through our efforts. And I pray that as we consider what it means for us to grow, individually and together, that we would be bold in taking leaves from the child's book. I pray that we would be prepared to humble ourselves, that we would be prepared to boast in our weaknesses and ask for help and seek to trust in God's grace and power. I pray that we would simply be willing, that we would seek the purpose that God has for each of us within the body And then just be willing to fill that space and to serve him well. And I pray that we would become the village that raises the child. But that we'd also be content being the child that the village can help to raise. I pray that we grow together towards being joyful, mature, encouraging, living in harmony and peace in the presence of God. And so I wonder today what leaf might be for you. What do you need to do to become more like the child who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you welcome the child that you welcome the ones who are weak, who are vulnerable, who are considered lowly. Jesus, you welcome them in and you see their gifts, you see their abilities, you see their talents. 
and you uphold them and you encourage them to step into those places. Lord Jesus, this morning, would we be willing to be like little children, to humble ourselves, to admit that we don't always get it, that we don't always know, that we can't always do it on our own. Jesus, would you stir our hearts that we might be willing to ask for help and that we might be ready to trust in you, to trust in your grace and your power and strength that is working through us. I pray, Jesus, that you will make our hearts willing to serve you and to serve the body. Would we be honest in searching with you, Jesus, to find our place, to find what you have gifted us for? And would we seek to serve you well in that place? And Jesus, would you help us as a body, as your body, to become like a village, like the village that raises the child. But Jesus, help us also to be content to be the child, to be the child that needs raising, that needs encouragement in order to grow. Jesus, we thank you that you call the children to yourself, that you love them, that you uphold them, and that you celebrate them, and you recognize everything that they can do and be. Would you call us to yourself, Jesus, as we come to you humbly, admitting that we need you? Would you welcome us in? In your name, amen.